Yes. All right. He is so faithful. Amen. All right. Thank you so back here. He's like, amen. Amen. I got you back. Hey, guys, if you have your Bibles, guys, grab them. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Those of you watching online, grab your Bibles. Marie is watching all the way from Georgia. Hi, Marie. We, uh, we miss you here in Lubbock, and uh, now you're in Georgia. But go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight. And, um, man, we're just going to just uh, ask the Lord to really just do a work here, guys, and, uh, and really talk about um, what he has for us. It's going to be amazing. So, Revelation chapter 2. I'm calling this message... Revive us, O Lord. Revive us, O Lord. Looking forward, Almighty God right now, guys, is giving us an opportunity to repent and to revive what was once alive. That's what he's doing right now. And so um, looking forward to this um, evening study in the People Get Ready series. And so let's pray and ask God to bless our study and... um, And get into his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your great love. We know, Lord, that um, you are in control of all things. And so, God, I just pray. I thank you for all those that are watching online, Lord. I pray that, Lord, that they would have hearts ready to receive what you have for us. And so, Lord, I know that as I looked at this um, church, I found myself in there. And so, God, I know that, Lord, that you're just uh, moving in our midst, and so I thank you. So, Lord, bless this time in your word. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you remember this, but in 1992, recording artist Carmen... Uh, wrote a song. He was one of the most popular albums, but he wrote a song called Revive Us, O Lord. And as I was looking at the text and thinking, okay, we're going to talk about this church, this is the song that just kind of kept coming to mind, Revive Us, O Lord. And and the Lord kind of brings back stuff to your memory. Now, now labor with me, because again, uh, what I did is I'm sitting at my table and I'm thinking, Lord, this is about revival and and so I went over to, to YouTube, and I pulled it up, and, and, and I listened to, listened to some of the, the lyrics of what Carmen wrote back in 1992. Now, again, think about this. We're already like 20 years, you know. I mean, th- almost uh, just listen. He, he, here's the lyrics. Labor with me first. Listen, listen to the lyrics. He starts off, and he says this. We have turned from your ways. Lord, your fruit we've ceased to bear. We lack power the power we once knew in our prayers that gentle voice from heaven we cease to hear and know the fact that he is risen no longer stirs our soul and then he goes on to say revive us O lord revive us O lord and cleanse us for uh, from our impurities and make us holy hear our cry revive us O lord and again when when i was listening to that song i was just like tears were coming down because that used to be the anthem that we used to sing lord I mean, think about this, guys. He's saying, I mean, I mean, has the fact that the risen Lord, does it stir, still stir your soul? Or have we just gotten so used to being Christian that we just keep moving and doing what we do and showing up? And, well, 
as we come to uh, the church in Ephesus, guys, we discover that they had, in fact, listen, they had left their first love. You see, the Lord Jesus, I mean, this is, they, they, had, they had left us, but, but in order, before I can do that, I need to, I need to go back and, and, and I need to do some work. Why? Because this is the key to understanding the book of Revelation. Now, if you're taking note, jot this down. In section 1, chapter 1 presents the Lord's person, right? We saw Jesus. This is what he does, okay? It's the revelation of Jesus, and that's exactly what happens. It's the unveiling of Jesus. But in section 2, chapters 3 and 4, this is what we're in today, he's going to address the things which are. Okay, you go what? These are the churches, or otherwise known as the church age. Now listen, this focus is going to be on the Lord's people. Why? Because it's a building that doesn't make up the church. It's the people who make up a church. And so again, when you think about this, guys, it's the build. It's not the building. It's, listen, we're grateful for online presence. We're grateful for technology, but it's the people who build up God's church. And that's going to be, in the next chapters, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Then in section 3, chapters 4, all the way to 22, it's going to deal with the things that are yet to come. Okay? So you have the Lord's person, Jesus. You have the Lord's people. That's us. And then we're going to see the Lord's program. These are things that are yet to come. Now, again, as we come here to uh, chapter 2, we come to the second section of the things that are. This is the message to the churches. Now, this is noteworthy. We see that in each message, there is going to be a fourfold application. Every message, fourfold. How so? Well, jot this down if you're taking notes. Okay? I'm going to try to go slow because there's a lot of people go, Oh, you talk too fast and I didn't get them. I understand that. But the very first one in the message, guys, each message, you ready? Number one, they are applied historically. Historically. Okay? You go, what do you mean? Well, these were seven original churches. The, these were seven real cities in Asia. And basically, he gives us, check this out. He gives us each church in the, given in the order of the ancient apostle route. So this church, then he'd go down and so forth. So, so we apply it historically. You go, okay. Number two, they, they apply Practically. Practically. What do you mean? Well, they teach us about church life. Think about this for just a moment. Almost every problem, difficulty, challenges facing the church are actually addressed in these seven letters. So they're not only historically, we go, okay, but practically, okay, you're going to see some stuff in there. Number three, they're going to be applied personally, okay? The condition of these seven churches are represented by individuals in just about every church in the world today. Okay, so personally, the letters apply to us individually as believers. And that's why each one ends with the same exhortation. Revelation chapter 2 verse 7a says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, here's my heart. My heart is, is that every one of us, guys, going through this would be able to apply them personally. 
Because the whole point of Calvary Chapel, the whole point of expository Bible teaching, guys, is so we can grow in the Word of God. But growth, listen to me, growth isn't something that you go, oh, well, I'm growing. Growth is actually applying and obeying. And so we see that, oh, okay, because I found myself in each one of these churches. Oh, he who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the fourth, if you're taking note, is you can apply them prophetically. Right? Why? Because there are seven churches, Alex, and seven is the number of completeness. You go, okay. And what we have is basically a picture of the complete church age. Each church represents a certain stage in church history, starting with Ephesus, representing the early church. Now, in your minds, check this out, okay? Jesus is now ascends to heaven. He begins the church. It starts with Ephesus in the church age. So every period of time is going to be addressed, even though he's addressing each church personally. You go, okay, okay. So the seven letters basically can be seen with each four applications. But also note that each letter has a similar outline. Like what? Well, first, guys, jot this down. This is, this is good stuff. There's a divine revelation of Jesus. Okay? So we took our time and we just dissected who Jesus was in the first chapter. He, I mean, all of this stuff. But now it comes back, right? Each of the seven messages begins with a personal description or designation of Jesus taken from the vision of Christ back in chapter 1. Okay? That's why we spent so much time there. Now, notice, notice, guys, in the book of Revelation, in each case, Jesus makes his nature and attributes directly relevant. What do you mean? To the unique spiritual need or the problem in each fellowship. He says, this is who I am as he addresses the particular area of the church. Now, in your mind, here's what you'd be thinking. What if he was going to address us in Lubbock, Texas? What would he say? And again, that's how you would say, if he was going to write a letter to the church, how would he do this? Well, first and foremost, we know he would, he would give a divine revelation of himself. Two, here's what he does. He gives a positive affirmation. That's what he does. Okay? He's going to tell them what they're doing good in areas that have blessed the Lord. He's going to tell them that. Now, for some churches, many blessings. You're doing good. Way to go. I'm so blessed. And for others, not so much. Not so much. Then he's going to do what any amazing father would do. He's going to give corrective exhortation. He's going to tell us, he's going to told what is wrong and then what they need to change. In these seven special messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor, the Lord gave each assembly, basically, he gave them, well, let's put it this way. He gave them an MRI report on their spiritual condition. He's going to show them what's going on. This is what you need to fix. And then last, guys, here's what he does. He gives eternal motivation. Motivation. How they respond is going to have some eternal ramifications. It's the same thing with us, church. Listen to me. When we come and we hear a Bible study and we get into the Word of God and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, 
and we may move us to tears. I mean, you may have that conviction. If we don't do anything with it, I mean, remember, we're, we're playing with eternal ramifications. We haven't corrected that behavior. Oh, well, that's for somebody else. Oh, and, and a lot of times there'll be, there'll be a specific conviction, and the wife will nudge the husband, like, listen to this, instead of all of us going, what am I receiving for it? How can I change? Which is so important. So, once again, guys, how are we going to do this? We see a divine revelation of Jesus. It's going to be amazing. He's going to give positive affirmation, corrective exhortation, and then he's going to be eternal motivation, okay? And that's really how we should live our lives. We should live our lives this way. So, let's read together, guys, Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7, okay? And then we'll come back and we'll break it down. You guys ready? Revelation 2, 1 through 7 says this. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of seven golden lampstands. Verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and they have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, what's that, Lord? I will give him, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, your attention, please. This is what the Lord told to the church of Ephesus. Now, let's talk about Ephesus, okay? At the time of the book of Acts, Ephesus was, in your mind, okay, guys, remember, Ephesus was the world center for politics for business and religion. I mean, think about this, okay? The population was about 500,000 people. They had an amphitheater seated about 25. I mean, Ephesus was the place to be. It had everything, if you will. It had the mall of malls. It had shopping. Whatever you had, I mean, they had the best restaurants. This is, hey, man, where do you want to go on vacation? Go to Ephesus. Are you kidding me? We're going to Ephesus. We can, we can stay at the best hotels. I mean, they've got everything. We've got business. We can take, and, and again, think about this, guys. It was so influential in the world that it was actually called the Star of Asia, or you'll sometimes refer to as the light of Asia. Wealthy and prosperous, guys, and magnificent in its day. This was Ephesus. I mean, wow, who wouldn't want to go to Ephesus? Now, especially dominant in the city of Ephesus, if you recall, was known, otherwise known as the worship of the goddess Diana. Okay? And you guys remember we talked about all, this was the temple prostitutes, okay? A thousand temple prostitutes would come down, and this was, again, they were, they were dedicated to worship, the worship of Diana. And so the prostitutes would come in, they would lure men to have sex in an effort to worship Diana, and this was going on there. This was going on in Ephesus. 
it was, although it was um, luxurious, and although it was the place to be, and although it was like, this is where you want to hang out, think of it, guys, it was wicked and immoral, and it was a violent city. And, and good, good church-going folks, good Christians say, hey, where do you want to go on vacation? We don't want to go to Ephesus because it's wicked. There was not a woman in here that go, I don't need my man being, being, you know, hit on by these, by these prostitutes in, in order to worship. And, but it was also, think about this, it was also the place where the gospel flourished. And you go, why? Well, think about this, guys. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And it's especially true concerning Ephesus. Okay? So what does Paul do? He goes and he starts the church. He ministers there three years. You have Apollos over there. You have Timothy and even John himself. Now, before John was exiled to the island of Patmos, he was the pastor there in Ephesus. But he's getting old, so he passes it on to another pastor, and he goes, and, 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 and that's where he was. So this is going to be close to John's heart as the Lord begins to reveal, with, reveal this. And, and so this was a church with, with just, I mean, think about this, guys. The apostle John was there. He's the pastor. And I, I, I just think it was rich. I mean, think about it. It was just a powerful impact. Man. But despite its rich tradition, its great fruit, and its powerful impact, Ephesus had a real problem, which was the reason for the letter. You go, what was that? Well, let's break it down, okay? Notice, Jesus is going to commend their works. Look at verse 1 again, guys. He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, here again, here's his divine revelation. Jesus begins by revealing who he is. What's that? Well, first and foremost, if you're taking note, here are his divine attributes. He is, right now, omnipresent. Okay? Why? Notice it says, he is things, he's, he's basically, he holds the seven stars. He walks in the midst of of the seven golden lampstands. You guys say omnipresent. This is what's going on. He's forever present in the churches. He's omnipresent. This is part of his divine attributes. As a matter of fact, we don't realize, but Jesus is here today. Jesus still walks in the midst of his church. And I don't know if I would preach any different or I would be a little bit more nervous if the Lord Jesus in physical form was sitting at the front row and just taking notes. You know what I mean? I'd be like, ah, right? Because I'll never forget the first time that I had to actually preach in front of my pastor. He actually invited me up and he says, hey, why don't you come to Amarillo? I'm going to be there, but I want you to. And I could see him way in the back of the room. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, you almost feel like you're being judged, but he's in the midst. But think about this, guys. If he's omnipresent, he's also omniscient. You know, what does that mean? He's all-knowing. He sees their works, but he also sees their sin. He also sees their sin. And he's omnipotent because he's all-powerful because he says he holds the churches and its leadership in his right hand and the right hand, guys, speaks of power and authority. So this is the Lord Jesus. And he says, 
to the seven stars and the seven lampstands revealed, we know what they are. Why? Because we looked at them in chapter 1, verse 20. You go, what were they? This lampstands represents the churches, the bearers of light. Okay? This is who they are. You go, well, who is he writing to? Well, notice what it says again. It says, to the angel. To the angel of the church of Ephesus. And you go, oh, he's writing to an angel. <laughs> not us. No, 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 no. Let me give you two schools of thought. Okay? The word angel means an angelic being, a ministering spirit, okay? The idea that every church kind of has a guardian angel, and I think that's kind of neat. Wouldn't that be cool? The guardian angel of Calvary Lubbock, that would be so cool. But it could also be translated messenger or pastor. Pastor. Now, listen, I have been called a lot of things. Angel is not one of them, okay? I'm just telling you, angel is not one of them. But most commentators agree that it is the latter. He's actually going to the messenger, to the pastor. Now, guys, think about it for just a second. Can you imagine? Here's Ben on a normal Thursday. And I go get the keys and I open the mailbox and I get a letter. And it's a heavenly letter. And it's a letter addressed to Calvary Chapel Lubbock from none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? I'd be shaking. <laughs> right? What's he going to say? What's he going to say? So what does Jesus do? He reveals himself here as what? The heartbeat of the church. This is what he says. He's going to talk about their life and their leadership, that he's got them in their hands, and that's exactly where he needs to be. Listen to this, guys. Jot this down. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. That's what the Lord says. And I think that's a great verse to, to just really, really meditate on. Why? Because in this day and age, we're afraid. And here's what the Lord says, Mel. Fear not, I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. In the midst of COVID, coronavirus, election, 2020, 2021, whatever you want to call it, guys, remember that don't take God out of the equation. He's still God on the throne. And what I love is that I trip out about everything. Oh, I can't believe this. And, and, and my conversation, well, can you believe this? And virus this and this and this. And what about this? And fraud here and blah, blah, blah. That's all my conversation. But you know what? God's like, I, I got it. I got it. I know what's going on. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to strengthen us, guys, in the days to come. Okay? So what do we have next? Jot this down. It's the divine diagnosis. The divine diagnosis. Notice, he says, he says, I know your works. Ooh, I would love that. Oh, the Lord knows my works. Yes. He says, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. Guys, we're doing good. We are doing good. He says, and you got a drummer. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what he says. He says this, and you have tested those who are, who say they're apostles and are not. And you found them to be liars. He says, you, you try, these guys coming in going, hey, we're apostles. We're apostles too. And it's like, no, no, you, you guys are liars. You're, you, you, you haven't seen the Lord Jesus. He says, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Do you see that? I mean, I would be going, 
Woohoo! Thank you, Lord. See, Jesus had some wonderful things to say about this church. Things that on an outward appearance might lead us to say, wow, what a great church. That's the church I want to go to. They're, they're doing great. Why? Because the church uh, affirms um, this church in four ways. He goes, what are they? Well, here, first and foremost, guys, and, and this is what we should strive to. This is a serving church. This is a serving church. Why? Because the Lord looks at me and says, I know your works. Guys, you guys are working. Your labor. This can be translated with absolute clarity and certainty. He says, I know your works. This is a church that serves. This is a church that serves. You go, what do you mean? There are no Christian couch potatoes in Ephesus. Okay? They're energetic. They're active. Man, and, and, and here's what he says. Check this out. He says, I know your labor. What's he mean by that? Well, if you're taking note, this is important because the word labor means working to the point of exhaustion. Working to the point of exhaustion. And so what we do is we go, hey, can you serve? Oh, for how long? What do you want me to do? How? Okay, that's not this church. That's not this church. Can you imagine putting our church, the people who call, called the Lord, I mean, can you imagine? You go, well, Ben, you're trying to guilt us into, no, no, no. I'm saying that they're working for the Lord to the point of exhaustion. They had all sorts of ministry going on. Other churches might sit and do nothing for the kingdom, but not this fellowship. The church of Ephesus, man, this is what's going on. If you got the bulletin at the church of Ephesus, here's what it would be. There was always something going on. Some outreach that was happening, a ministry to do, to get involved in. There was always something. This is this church, right? Why? Because the church of Ephesus right now took their faith seriously and they put it to work. Seriously. They witnessed, they told people about Jesus, they invited, they labored, they ministered to human need, they went out and helped the homeless, they were doing all kinds of stuff, man. They helped the downcast, they ministered to the homeless, the outcasts of society, they had a jail ministry. They had all, everything you can imagine. Am I making the point? Whatever the case, they were busy people, continually working, and the Lord commends them for that. Good job, guys. Good job. The second thing we see about this church, I love it. It's a steadfast church in the midst of suffering. Remember the emperor De Niro and then Domitian, right? He says, man, you guys have been patient, even under persecution. Even under persecution, he says, you guys have patience. And that word patient means to bear up under a heavy load. What do you mean? The, these believers at Ephesus, guys, think about this. They weren't quitters. They hung in there even in the midst of persecution and suffering. And how many times are we like, oh, it's too hard. I know I am. It's too hard. I, oh, I feel like I need to give up. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what's happening. And not this church. They weren't quitters. They weren't quitters. It was a steadfast church. Number three, it was a separated church. It was a pure church. Jesus says, I know you hate those whose deeds are evil. Okay? So, here's what they weren't doing. Listen to me. They weren't allowing the world to infiltrate the church. They weren't saying, hey, you know what, Ben? You want to fill those seats? You want to fill those? Hey, you got to do some stuff, man. Let's, 
I got an idea. Let's get some fog machines in here. Let's get some really cool straw. Let's really just, and, and dude, don't, don't be so hard on the repent thing. Don't chill. Just, just speak nice and, and positive. And just smile and say, I love you guys. And, and bring in celebrities in here so, so people will come. That's a great idea. He's like, no, 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 no. This, is, this church was, this church is, um, he says, no, 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 no. It's a pure church. We read in Acts chapter 19 that they actually took a stand against witchcraft. You go, what do you mean? Okay, so back in Acts chapter 19, wrap your mind around these. There were those involved in, 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 in occultic practices, okay, before coming to Christ. When they came to Christ, they actually went out and burned, publicly burned all the books that they used to um, practice magic, that they used. They just burned them, right? They hated evil. They burnt bridges to their past sinfulness. And they look back in their lives and they say this, man, my life was so wicked. I was wrapped up in the occult. I'm not going to leave any of those books on my shelf. And they pull them down. This is this church. And just now, in reading this, man, I, I, I felt the conviction because it's like, hey, are you? Did you burn? Hey, what do you have? What are you holding on to? Are you the Lord's? And man, my life was so wicked, guys, that I was wrapped up in all kinds of other stuff. And I don't want to leave any of that stuff on on my bookshelves and on a footnote in Acts chapter 19 verse 19 the open Bible says that the books were valued at $364,000 back in that day and they burned them they burned them now I know what you're thinking whoa whoa but Pastor man whoa 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 listen they could have said hey man I'm going to read those books I'm not going to read them but if they're worth that much money, I'm just going to keep them. Maybe they look good on my bookshelf, right? They're, they're kind of antique looking and, and they've been handed down. So I'm just going to hang on to them. Guys, listen to me. They did no such thing. And I'll tell you why. Because I think it's time for you and I, when we make that stem for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we jump in all the way. We, we cannot play church anymore. We cannot dance with the world and try to follow Jesus. We can't. And this is what the, they're, they're going, no, 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 no. We, we don't want anything to do with our past sinfulness. Why? Why? Because, guys, you understand how the world, how the past will try to pull you back into where you were. It will do that. This is the word of God. Not this church. This church is like, mm. The fourth that we see in this church, guys, is it was a scripture-loving church. Scripture-loving church, right? Look at verse 2b. He says, you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You have found them liars. How did they know that? How would you find? How would you determine? Here's why. Ready? Jot this down. Because they knew the word. They knew the truth and they could discern a lie. They knew the word of God, guys. They knew the word of God. 
Listen to me when I say we are getting close to going home with the Lord Jesus. I want to know all about him. I want to know his word. And, and they knew the word, guys. And when something came in, when some false doctrine came through, they, they said, no, 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 that's not true. That's a heresy. And so many heresies are, are, are circular around, circulating around the church today. And they're ministries that are getting rich off of them. It would have never survived in Ephesus. It never survived in Ephesus. Now, it's important to note that prophetically speaking, this church represents the first century church. The apostolic given over to the apostles' teaching, active in ministry, purity. It's like, um, this, is, this is what was happening. So, up until this point, the church of Ephesus, guys, gets an A+. It's an A+. Now, I wish that was the end of the story. What a great church. That's the church I want to join. That's the church I want to be a part of. But that's not the end of the story. You see, now Jesus represents, he, now he's going to come and present the problem. Okay? Now let's search our hearts. Okay? The first thing he does is he confronts their waywardness. Look at verse 4. He says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. What's that, Lord? That you've left your first love. Okay? So he commends them for A, B, C, D. But in verse 4, he says, Man, I got something against you. Now, I wish the Lord Jesus would have said, Hey, man, I've got this against you. You know what? Your bulletins are too full. Or maybe you're doing too much ministry. Or you need to slow down. Or, or maybe whatever it might be. Or... or, or but this, guys, this. I mean, think about John. This was the pastor of the church. John is known for love. He, he, he introduced love to the church. And, and now the Lord comes back, guys, and he says this. But I want to I I do a spiritual inventory in my life because he says, This I have against you. What's the problem, Lord? Well, it's the problem, and it's a major problem. What has happened? You've left your first love. You know the word left there? It's very interesting. It means to be released, to let go, left behind. Now here's what I want you to note, guys. I want you to note that they left, not lost. What do you mean? They didn't lose it. Okay? It wasn't misplaced. Oh, Amanda, I left. I, I, I misplaced my love for Jesus. I just, that wasn't it. They, they literally, they literally... It was forsaken. It was replaced by other things. That's what's going on in the church. How so? Well, it's easy because activity often replaces affection. Activity. I, I'm going to stay busy. I've got to do something. I've got to do that. Programs often replace passion. And duty replaces devotion. Church, listen to me. Those of you watching online, what does it mean to leave your first love? What does it mean? It means it's when the Lord and the things of the Lord are no longer your first passion. It's when the things that once stirred your heart no longer do. 
I think it's time to do a serious heart check. I want you to think about your life for just a moment. And when you first got saved, and how you were telling everybody, even to the point of being obnoxious, and you just loved the Lord. And it was, it, he meant everything to you, and you read the word, and you couldn't get enough of it. And I started thinking about this. When God was calling me into the ministry, I couldn't get enough of the podcasts. I couldn't get enough of the word. I'd be listening to teaching after teaching, and I couldn't, man, I was just like, I should go, wow. And then somehow, sometimes, you just kind of get real complacent. Oh, yeah. And so I, I started thinking about this. I started thinking, Lord, help me here. Um, what are some possible indications that I've left my first love? What, what are they, Lord? And I jotted this down, guys. It's when you see someone come forward after an altar call and make a decision to follow Christ. Tears used to fill your eyes. You used to cry, wow, I can't believe that. But now when somebody gets saved, you find yourself thinking cynical thoughts like, I wonder how many of them are really sincere. Ah, it's not going to stick. They're not really saved. We used to clap, guys, for the Lord. Yes, Lord, I can't believe you're saved. This is so cool. Another one in heaven where now we give the gracious golf clap. Yeah. Hey, man, the Cowboys are playing. Let's go. Let's go, man. Give the altar call. Let's go. Let's go. Or whatever team you'd like. We find ourselves thinking, how many of those are really going to stick with it? Stats say only 25%. Only 25 of the 10, or, you know, whatever it might be, one out of four are going to be, are really going to stick with the Lord. It's when you find yourself, listen to this, being more interested in knowledge than in knowing. In other words, you want your brain stimulated versus your heart touched. You see, a lot of people go, man, I want to study the book of Revelation, but they want to get a head knowledge. They don't want their heart touched to return and come back to the Lord. See, that, my friends, is what happens when people leave their first love. The things that once moved them and amazed them don't anymore. Remember how blown away you felt when you would pick up your Bible to read and the glory would speak to your heart? Amazed that although he's holding the world together in the span of his hand, he still takes time to meet and minister to you. Do you remember that? Lord, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I love you so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. being floored how you would come to a study and feel like the pastor was talking especially to you how did he know I know it's you Lord I know it's that feeling that you had when you walked that feeling you had when you walked into ours like, like this and saw so many people in love with Jesus 
And I jot this down, guys. I, there's a problem when those type of things don't no longer move you. They no longer wow you. You go, Ben, 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 I have a question. How does this happen? How does this happen? Well, one possibility for Ephesus, a new generation, the church that had begun in 53 AD when Paul had come there was now 43 years old. And so many of the older converts, the original converts had died or they're very old. And those who are leading the way now, the next generation, well, they didn't carry on the same love and affection and intensity of those who went before them. Right? So that's one possibility that this church is now 43 years old and it's like, man, you've, it only took 43 years before you left your first love? Where was that passion? And I think that's a passion that we got to pass down to the next generation. And it's hard. I, th I think about it like this, right? Let me illustrate it this way. Think about, think about Abraham. We did our Genesis study. Think about Abraham. Abraham was known, he was known as a friend of God, right? Remember what Abraham did? He's coming in, he built, altar, he built altars to the Lord. He, he was known as a worshiper. Do you guys remember what he did? He dug wells to care for his sheep. That's what Abraham did. Well, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Do you remember what Isaac dug? Isaac dug wells, but he built no altars. Then Isaac had a son named Jacob, and guess what? Jacob did none of the above. He didn't build any altars. He didn't build any wells. But do you realize that Jacob didn't become an altar builder until God broke him? It's a possibility. This is a new generation. It also happens when we get caught up in doing and we forget devotion when we get busy. Activity replaces affection. Where's your affection for the Lord Jesus? When passion gets replaced by programs. Guys, we're losing it. Because Wednesday night should be a time where we're excited and we're pumped and man, we get to do church instead of, oh, it's Wednesday. I'm guilty. Oh, it's Wednesday. Let's get through this. Come on, Lord. It's Wednesday. Well, I don't know who's going to come, Lord. And, and what's happened is my passion for the Lord has, has man, sorry, Lord. Is he, did he hit the button up there? It's the it's a little thing there. There you go. Thank you, Lord. He, he's trying to get our attention. It's when relationship gets replaced by religion. I have a question. Am I judging my walk not on how close to Christ I'm getting, but by how much I'm doing? And here's the question. How's your walk? 
How's your walk? You go, well, I'm serving, I'm doing. Well, again, think about it. You go, well, how else does it happen? How else do people, they, they leave their first love? Here it is, guys. You ready? Jot this down. It happens when Christians become hearers of the word instead of doers. They know the truth, but they don't apply the truth. It also happens when Christians allow someone or something else to take the place of their passion for the Lord. Let me just say this too. I think the same thing can happen in marriage, don't you? You lose your passion and your intensity of your love, especially if it's replaced by routine. I mean, think about this. Ever see young couples, man? I like to watch young couples because they can't take their eyes off each other. They're always hugging and they're just newly married and little kisses. And, 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 and I think that's a, a lot of times it's replaced by routine. Oh, yeah, we've been married a long time. Okay. Yeah. You go, well, why would you bring up marriage in the place of Ephesus? Because I think, guys, a lot of times when our relationship in the vertical sense is lost and sometimes our relationship horizontally can be lost too. Is that good? No, is that good stuff right there? See, Ephesus, Ephesus, guys, was a serving church. So my question to you is, is it possible, is it possible to serve and suffer for Jesus without loving him? a good question isn't it is it possible to serve and suffer for the lord without loving him is it possible to show up and do the sound and allow worship and teach the word of god and do security and and teach the children and 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 again think about this We're, we're we're wrapping our minds around because i jotted some things down i thought you know what i think it is i i think there are some motivations for doing that you say well like what well, for serving and suffering without a relationship. Well, give me, give me an example. What? Well, first of all, a lot of people do it to alleviate guilt. I'm going to serve to alleviate guilt. I'm, you don't understand. I've got this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and, and so forth. I know a lot of people serve to be noticed. Do you realize that there are a lot of pastors behind pulpits because they want to be recognized. They want to be somebody. And they love the congregation to pat them on the back. each and every service oh that was such a great message oh that was oh thank you and they need that they they need to feel noticed and i think we can serve and suffer without a relationship to be fulfilled listen to serve jesus the highest motivation is a pure simple on fire love for him that's what we need so what does Jesus do? I love this, guys, because he gives them a commandment. Notice verse, verse 5. Here's the remedy. Here it is. You ready? Lord, what do I do? Because at this point, I'm crying. At this point, I got the letter. I, I, because I left my first love. I left my first love. 
I've allowed other things to come in and infiltrate my life. I've left my first love. Are you kidding me? But, but Lord, I'm still the pastor. No, 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 no. Are you kidding me? I've left, I've left that relationship. And here's what we need to understand, guys, is that apart from serving and pastor and anything else, our relationship with Jesus takes priority. That has to happen first. I've told my leadership in this church that you can, you can come behind this pulpit and you can put a message together and not even pray. There's a mechanics to putting a message together. There's a mechanics to just dissecting the word of God and presenting it with passion and not even praying, not even being moved by God. That is a scary place to be. And I think that's the whole thing. The whole thing is like, God, Lord, I don't want to do this. I, I, I need to listen. So let's add COVID in the mix. Let's add masks in the mix. Let's add vaccines in the mix. Let's add all of this stuff, guys. And, and my heart to you is make sure to implore you even more today. Come go back. And what is the remedy? What should we do? He tells us right here, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand in its, from its place, unless you repent. What's the first thing we need to do, church? Remember, remember. Think back to that time when you were most in love with the Lord. You're going to find this silly, but when I first got saved, I used to sleep with my Bible under my pillow. Not that the words would sink in my head. I just would have my Bible. And that's the last thing I would see before I went to sleep. And that's the first thing. I still have that Bible. But so if I've got a lot of Bibles now. I've got a lot of Bibles. So if I've, I've got them everywhere, right? I've, you, man, you got, you got coffee table Bibles. You got a, in, the, in the restroom, you got Bibles. You got Bibles everywhere. But what about that one that you just, when you first got saved, guys, remember, go back to that place where he moved and he stirred and, he, and, he, and, and, it, and, and, and tears would just fall down when you're going, Lord, I miss you. What a... So what happened, Mel? Oh, I, I lost the Lord. No, you left for other things. And he's telling us, repent, remember, Remember how you longed for the word and made every day, you just made time with the Lord every day. Do you remember when you were eager to share what Jesus had done and what he was doing in your life with others? Listen, I am a big proponent of putting scripture on Facebook and encouraging people that way. But let's make sure we're not Facebook Christians. Let me, shoot. Let me shoot a verse out there. Good. Shot a verse. How many likes? Oh, I got a bunch of likes. Cool. Christianity 101, baby. No, 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 no. When we're able to meet and talk to somebody, say, you got to understand, what did God, what's God doing? Well, I know that because we're all saved. No, 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 we're not all saved. But here's what God's doing. Here's what God's doing, man. Remember when you felt in worship and that you made sure you made it to church early enough not to miss any of the worship. Do you remember? Do you remember when it meant something? Ooh. 
remember the eagerness and the anticipation which you approach the things of the Lord. Lord, what are you going to do today? Remember when you prayed about everything, even a parking space. That reminds me, we were, I took my granddaughter to the mall the other day because we, we had to take care of some stuff and we prayed for a parking space because now times, you know, the, the mall at the parking lot, the parking lot at the mall is, it's, but, but, but I showed her, we need to pray, Lord Jesus, help us to find a good parking spot. It is cold and, and you know what the Lord did? He found us a great parking spot. Remember how you could hardly bear to miss a service because you were learning so much about the truth of life? Jesus says, guys, look back. Think back. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember those times. The second thing he tells us to do, guys, is repent. Repent. Change of mind. Change your mind about the place that you are now. He's telling the church, instead of rationalizing your condition or your complacency by saying things like, well, I've matured. He says, admit it. Lord, I am not where I want to be with you. I'm not where I want to be with you. Confess it. Admit you have the wrong motives. And admit that our lives have become routine. This is what the church of Ephesus did. I told you it was going to be convicting. This is exactly what it is. It's like, Lord... You see, hold on, Lord, hold on. That, you know, that, man, when I was 17, I gave my life to the Lord. Yeah, I could say I was pretty excited. But now, Lord, I'm, uh, I've grown up in you, Lord. No, 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 I still, guys, listen, to be honest with you, I still miss that touch. I could see, I could see a sunset and, and know the Lord was talking to me. Everything reminded me of the Lord. Repent, repent. I wonder, I wonder, and of course I'm preaching to the choir because it's Wednesday night and you're here, but I wonder how many people have taken the Lord for granted. I wonder if it's like, ah, it's the Lord. And then he tells us the third, are you ready? What does he say? He says, man, he says, remember, go back, remember, remember, re repent. And then he says, repeat. He says, do the first works. What are those things? Read the Bible, guys, with eager eyes. Listen to me. You ready? Start believing again that God's going to speak to you. That it's for you. Put everything else aside and make only thing that matters knowing him and worshiping him. I keep saying this, guys. Finish well. Finish well. I say this a lot. Listen, don't play church. What do you mean? Don't make church a routine. Yeah, we go to church. You need to come expecting to meet with God. We get here early. We take in the worship. By the way, you know, by the way, worshiping, if you don't know this, is already, is, is talking to God already. But we've gotten so silly I don't like the worship. I don't like that song. I can't see the words. No, 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 no. I don't like the way they're playing. I don't like. And, and, and instead of just going, I, listen, I'm guilty of all of this. There's times I've gone to church and I just go, I don't like the worship. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really like. You're not there to worship the team. You're where to worship the Lord.
and I've missed it. I've missed it. You know what's hard for me as a pastor? Is to go to other churches and, and be able just to worship and just hear the word. I'm always like, why did they do that? Oh, I like the way the screen's up. Maybe we could do that at our church. I wonder how they Oh, I really like the way they do announcements. Look at all these people. And my mind goes 100 miles an hour. And then the worship's going. It's like, wow, that's really good. They have a great band. Look at that. Oh, wow, maybe we should jump up on stage like this. And I don't know, maybe I'll do it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, so what'd you get out of it? Oh, well, the Lord wasn't there at all for me, man. And that's really hard for me. But, but I need to go back. I need to go back to worship the Lord. I need to start praying about everything again, believing that God is interested. You see, here's the point. My quiet time hasn't stopped. But if I'm being honest with you, the quality of the time with the Lord has stopped. The quality waiting for him to speak. It's become routine. Okay, got to go, got to go. Listen, okay, Lord, let's go. Okay, okay, next, we move on to the next thing. And, and uh, do you see our tendency now is to say our life is so different. And so what does the Lord do? He says, guys, listen, here's, here, here's a remedy. You ready? If you find yourself struggling, what does he say? He goes, remember those days? Do you remember those days you used to get a cup of coffee and you had your Bible and you knew I was going to be there? And you read it and it was like... <sighs> so if you remember those days you used to just put on music and worship the Lord and he spoke to you? Those days and, oh, it was so cool. And, and, and that's exactly what he's saying. He's going to remember those things. Go back to those things. Be careful not to get caught up in the routine of everyday life. Well, he gives us a divine ultimatum. He says, or else, guys, guess what's going to happen? And, and I love the Lord. He does it lovingly. He says, or I'm going to come quickly and remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. Guys, if you don't turn, here's what's going to happen. And it doesn't mean that individual members of the church are going to lose their salvation. That's not what he's talking about. He's not going, well, there you go, Mel. If you don't repent, you're going to, you know, I don't know what to tell That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying, guys, he says the church will lose its ability to shed the light of the truth. It's no longer going to be a lighthouse. That's what he's saying. So, so here's the question. Ready? Here's the question. How did the believers in Ephesus respond to this diagnosis and to this remedy? You go, well, Ben, a trip to Asia Minor would tell you right now. Because Ephesus doesn't exist as a city today. The light of that fellowship no longer burns as a witness for Jesus. But he goes on. Look at verse 6. He says, but, but, but this you have. What's that, Lord? That you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans. Everybody, I want, you to, I want you to grasp that. Why? Because let me break this down. Who are these guys? Why would the Lord say the Nicolaitans? Very interesting. Because the word Nikos means conquest or laity. Okay? Simply put, guys, if you do a word study, 
the Nicolaitans actually means the rulers of the people. The rulers of the people. Okay? It was the cultural Christians of the day. Those who had professed Christianity yet lived like there was no God. These were the Nicolaitans. They were the rulers of the people. The Nicolaitans, listen to this, were those who said, we will tell you what to do, how to do it, when to do it, who to marry, who to date, and we will, in fact, be the mediators between you and God. That's what the Nicolaitans used to say. Well, of course, we know 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's only Jesus. But here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. In our day and age, who are the Nicolaitans? Who are the ones telling us the rulers of the people? We will tell you what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and if you don't do it, you'll suffer the consequences. Every day on Facebook, one of the news personalities puts how many people we've had that tested positive for coronavirus. Then he would tell how many deaths we had. So he does that every day. And it's just his way of letting Lubbock know where we at. How many deaths, how many recoveries, so forth, so forth, so forth. Every day you can find it on a Facebook page. You know what I'm talking about? But here's what I find. I'll go through the comments and I'll find what people are saying. And can I tell you, 90% of the people who comment want to close us back down, want, want, are, are mad at Lubbock for not wearing a mask, all of it. I mean, it's, they're, not, they're not positive comments. 90 of them are like... So every now and then I'll go through and I'll say, well, who's commenting that? And so I'll pull up their Facebook. And they'll have stuff like faith over fear. Christianity, and I mean, it's just like, but the Nicolaitans guys are the rulers over the people when we should be ruled by God. We should be ruled by God. He says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. God hates them too. Pastor Ben, are you saying, and I have to clarify this, Emil, are you saying that we shouldn't wear a mask? That's not what I'm saying. So please don't listen to this Bible study. Well, he said that we're not, we're supposed to rebel against the government. Here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the Nicolaitans were the rulers over the people that they could bring told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And the Lord says no. The Lord says no. Verse 7. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's what I find interesting, guys. After every church, he's going to say, man, you got an ear? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, all of us in this room have ears. Right? We have ears. So he's not talking about, do you have physical ears? He's saying, man, can you hear with your heart what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church? Do you have an ear today for what God said to you? Listen, 
Because here's the deal. You're going to stand before Almighty God one day and he's going to say, hey, remember the, the teaching in Ephesus? Do you remember when you were in church? My spirit was there trying to get a hold of your heart and you wouldn't listen. Really? That's the church of Ephesus, guys. So let's close. I want to close our study with this, okay? Ask yourself this evening, in a sincere way, is there a distance between you and Christ? Ask yourself this, have I left my first love? See, you and I today have an opportunity to respond to his love you go, how do, how, how do we respond the same way he told the, the church of Ephesus? He says, first of all, remember, exercising your mind by thinking back when you were closest to the Lord. The second thing is repenting. This begins with, with, with confession. When you confess your sin, agree with God concerning his diagnosis. Lord, I've left you, man. And it's completed when you turn from your sin to Jesus. Remove anything that stands between you and Jesus. Rearrange priorities that work against growing closer to him. And then what should I do? Repeating. Incorporate back in your life those things that fostered and deepened your first love for him. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word. God, we thank you. And we do pray, Lord, like Carmen saying back in 1992, to revive us, God. Lord Jesus, we have turned from your ways. Lord, your fruit we've ceased to bear. Lord, we lack the power we once knew in our prayers, that gentle voice from heaven. Revive us, O Lord. Cleanse us, O Lord, for our impurities and make us holy. Hear our cry and revive us. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.